Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Hey, um, what I wanted to discuss tonight is um, something that um, I think as men, I I think we all need to be aware of, and I want to point this out because... My job is to equip you because I want you to equip other men. And uh, maybe you've already figured this out, but a lot of guys haven't. And here's what's happening. Ever since COVID hit and shut down the churches, and since then, I don't know, what has it been four years ago since that happened? We're seeing something change in the Christian community um, it's, it's a problem that has always been with the church, it's always been with Israel. And but we're seeing it more pronounced than ever. And that's this what we call the Adam and Eve syndrome. And um, even in the last few years, we're seeing an increase in this in people, even in our church that have left our church, not because the guy wanted to leave, but because his wife wanted to leave. And I think it we we've we've come to a point now that we're seeing so a lot of this activity, not just with us, but around the nation, that I think we need to address it as men. I think we need to understand the dynamics of what it means to be a spiritual leader and not let our wives lead us spiritually. And that's what's happening right now. Men are being led around by their wives. And that is the most unbiblical thing you could possibly imagine when the guy had been put as a spiritual leader of his home. And the role is reversed. And there's many factors that have led into this. Uh, no doubt about that. I mean, you could, it, the culture's partly to blame for this and the culture seeping into uh, American Christianity. And there's no doubt about that. I'll address that. But that's not the bigger issues. That's not the bigger issues at all. The, 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 I'm gonna point out some issues of why we're watching this transpire. There's no doubt we're in the last days. This is the age of apostasy. And this is one of the other uh, effects of, of apostasy is that the houses go upside down and the men are not leading and the women are. And when the women lead, it leads the home into chaos. And I'm just gonna put that out there because what I have watched over this last year is a number of young couples being destroyed by the wife in the home. And she's, because she's in charge and she shouldn't be, the guy is Casper milk toast and won't say a thing. And she is large and in charge. And we have to address this. So maybe this doesn't affect you, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what you learn and go teach some of our younger guys these principles because our younger group doesn't understand this. They're having more of an egalitarian mindset that, and the mindset is that I'm, I'm, I'm fulfilling all my wife's needs and that's a sign that I'm a good man, okay? The, the, the problem with that mentality is what are you defining as needs for your wife? What is she defining? Are those needs legitimate? Because if they're not, you're doing something that's going to cause problems spiritually for you and your family. And so I want to take you through this. And I might have to do two parts in it because I think it's a pretty serious problem. It's a pretty serious problem, not only in the Bible, but it's a serious problem right now. And uh, we're going to go through Genesis, I'm going to go through Timothy, 1 Corinthians and whatnot and the other passages, because I want, I want to explore this with us, because I think we need to have this under our belt in order to teach our younger folks. Because I can tell you this, once we get over to the new building, we're going to explode, okay? And we're going to get a whole host of new people that are going to come, and you and I that have been at Rock Harbor for some time are going to be charged with training these new people because they're going to come from churches that don't teach that at the Adam and Eve syndrome problem. They're going to come from churches that teach egalitarianism. 
And, and I'll explain all that in just a moment. So I think we have to be prepared for what's coming. Um, and so I want to take you through that just a little bit. The first place you got to start is in the Garden of Eden with our ancestors. And you see the Adam syndrome and you see the Eve syndrome right off the bat in chapter 3 uh, of Genesis in dealing with the serpent or the Nakash, which was Satan possessing the, the bright one, the serpent. It turned into a serpent after the cursing. But I want you to notice in the passage the clear indication of this. Why is Eve dealing with Satan? Why isn't Adam dealing with them? So there's where we get the concept of the Eve and Adam syndrome. So Adam is passive, watching this whole thing play out, while Eve is engaging in spiritual combat with the serpent. And it doesn't work out too well. But watch this. Now, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. So Satan uses the smartest animal, and he possesses the animal to talk. And he talks to Eve, and that's the key, what I want you to understand. Satan is wise enough to know that the target in the family home is the wife. Now, to take you out, he's going after your wife. And if you have a situation where your wife's in charge spiritually, he will love that situation and go after her just like in this situation. So the guy takes a back seat to the wife spiritually and lets her deal with the serpent. That's what's happening here. So watch what happens. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So the first thing he deals with the woman is put in doubt in her mind. Now, why does Satan want to attack the wife first and not you? Because the wife is more emotional. She's the nurturing of humankind. That's her gifting. So therefore, since she's going to be in charge of the majority of reproduction of the human race, God has granted women the nurturing and the the emotional aspect that is required for raising children. He has not given that uh, to us. We, we, We have emotions, but not like a woman does, because that's her role. Our role is different. Our role is for leading, which means we're going to be short on emotions, but be higher in cognitive ability um, as far as not being pulled by our emotions. We're not driven by emotions. We're driven by more rationalistic thoughts. And that's how God made us. So it's not that we're, we're better than women. We have just different roles. Our role, because of leadership, needs to have less emotion so it doesn't affect our judgment. A woman's role is to care and nurture and take care of children. Therefore, she's given that more emotion to do that. Okay, so this is what we call complementarianism, not egalitarianism, complementarianism, that the man and the woman complement each other in raising the home. You, you have to, in the ideal situation, have both aspects, the masculine figure, the leader, and then you have to have the more nurturing aspect to actually do what God wants us to do in raising kids. Okay, and of course, there's exceptions to the rule. So that being the case, when the roles are reversed, and the man does not take the leadership, and she does, they're out, of, they're out of step with the way God organized things. And the first thing that will happen is the kids will go on their heads immediately. They will go on their heads because they, they, they will not see proper authority structure in front of them. And if they're not learning proper authority structure, it damages their ability to relate to God because you learn your first authority structure with your parents. And if you learn that, then you can learn... learn about the authority structure of God. That's why our kids are so rebellious because in their home, the woman's in charge. And therefore, that upsets anything uh, about their understanding of authority, okay? So when they're brought into Christianity, they either take that baggage with them or they revolt against the authority structure and they call it the cis-heteropatriarchy, as you hear in the culture, okay? So anyway, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in which in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. So what did she do with, her, with the emotions? She added something to it. 
That's not what the command says. It didn't, God never said you can't touch it. He said you can't eat it. So she's adding, okay? So she's in a tango with Satan and she's getting twisted up really quick. Notice how fast she's getting twisted up, okay? So now you have a denial and then she's not repeating back the command properly. Then the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. Boom, you go from deny, uh, doubt to denial immediately with her. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And really how you want to approach this is to understand, look, man, he's just holding back on you. I'm actually for you, trying to help you so that you can really see what's going on and you can be an autonomous being like God and make up the rules and you decide what is right and wrong in your own eyes. That's what he's holding back on you. He just doesn't want you to be like him. So Satan is pretending to be the helper of Eve and projecting God as the enemy of Eve, okay? And, and this is all done through emotional manipulation. It's a technique. I'm on your side. You can trust me. He's just holding back on you. So she's, it's not based on truth. His argument is based on emotion. It's the same thing you see in marketing techniques today on TV, the marketing techniques are to draw emotion so that you could buy something, okay? And, and particularly in women's marketing, that's what they're drawing on, emotion. And then they capture them. That's what political arguments do. They make it an emotional appeal. They'll give an antidote instead of facts and evidence. And you are to be sucked in by the emotional pull of that, ar- of that political argument. That's not how you function. But that's why typically you'll see women, when you watch their voting habits, what they will do, they will vote more emotionally, okay? And now, I, I'm a political science major. I studied how women vote. I studied how different religions vote. And when you study how women vote, they will vote on emotions on uh, taking care of people. So therefore, they are going to lean more to the liberal leftist side because that's the mantra of the left. We're helping people and the conservatives are not. So they will tend to vote this way. Just gets raw emotions. Okay, he continues, it'll make one wise. So she, uh, or sorry. Uh, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, Okay, it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree is desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And then look what happened. And this past, the last part of this is significant. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. No questions asked. Where did you get the fruit? What, what happened? Or in fact, he saw it and he eats it with her. Now, you can give this a very noble Shakespearean type of commentary and say, well, you know, he, he, he didn't want to let her plunge into sin, so he took the dive with her like Romeo and Juliet and fell into sin as two lovebirds going into the sunset. It's not what happened. The dude followed her lead. Adam follows her lead in a spiritual decision to disobey God, to go outside of the will of God, And he doesn't question her. He doesn't do anything. He just follows her instead of following God. There it is. That's what we call the Adam syndrome and the Eve syndrome. The woman's in charge and the man just simply follows. Okay? Then the result is for the woman doing this. Verse 16, to the woman he said, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So the... The, the interesting enough that the penalty for, for leading and not letting your husband lead is that I'm going to instill in you a desire to want to lead your husband since you did that. Every woman then will be plagued with an inner desire to rule over their husband, to have his position of leadership. And she has to fight that off. Just like, just like Adam has to fight his passivity off. That is a trait that men carry that they have to fight off. So women want the guy's position and the man doesn't want the position. 
He might want the title, but he doesn't want the responsibility that comes with the position in order to lead. And therefore, that's the downfall. So all of us have to fight this, and we have to warn people of this. Okay, that's where it comes from. That's where the principle is at. Now, the principle then is carried over into the New Testament because this happened in creation. So this is not according to Mosaic law. This is a creation order, okay? That men are the head of the family unit, okay? Furthermore, it extends into the church. And like I've I've showed this before, but now in context, I wanna bring it to here. In 1 Timothy 2, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man in the church setting, okay? But to be in silence, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. So there's a priority in creation. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. So with that, Paul says, I don't allow women to be pastors, okay? And now what the problem is with the egalitarian movement in the church, even the Southern Baptists, you're looking at different Calvary chapels, you're looking at different denominations now, considering women to be pastors. And we already know there's denominations that's allowing that. And it's a violation of 1 Timothy, as you can see here. When he says, "I I don't allow a woman to have authority or teach didactically the scriptures to a mixed audience or to men, that forbids women pastors. Okay, end of story. So if you ever see a woman pastor, then you're to you're write that off. That's, that's illegal. Now, can a woman be a prophet? Yes. Can a woman pray in public? Yes. Can she speak in public, give a testimony? Yes. Can a woman speak in tongues? Yes. And have an interpreter and all that stuff? Yes. She can't be a pastor though. And that's the problem. Why though? Was it because was it of lack of education? What was it? Because the argument against this passage was that this passage was for a time in the Bible times and doesn't have application today because women are smart now. Oh, really? But his argument is not about their intellect. His argument is about creation. What did he say? In creation, Adam is formed first, then Eve. Therefore, he has the priority. Okay? Second, He points out the deception that happened to Eve. Now, why would he point that out? Because if he's making a universal principle that women shouldn't be the pastor, and and, and then he backs it up by creation, what is he saying about the deception then of Eve? He's not just saying that's indicative of Eve. If he's making a universal principle, what is he saying about women in a universal sense? That... The woman you put as a pastor were then tangled with Satan and be deceived just like Eve is. That's why I don't want her being a pastor. The same thing that happened to Eve will happen to her. Oh, so this is a creation order. So what is it about women that makes them more easily deceived? It's their emotions. It's the nurturing. Their greatest strength is their greatest weakness. So the nurturing to raise children and, and, and nurture them and care for them as she's done can be perverted and those emotions can get out of control. And if you're emotional, you're, more, you're easier to be deceived than a man. Doesn't mean that men can't be deceived. A man can be deceived all the time, but they're less likely so what does that tell you about men that follow their wives that are, that are deceived and men are following them? What does it say? Adam was not deceived. So when a large and in charge woman is taking the lead spiritually and the man is going along with her, the man knows full well that it's wrong and he's doing it anyway just like Adam did, because Adam's not deceived. So typically, it's the same thing I see. A large and in charge woman says they're gonna make some type of spiritual decision for the family. He goes along with it, and he knows it's wrong. But he will justify it in order to keep peace at the home. Okay? Or he'll blame someone else for it. Okay? Now keep following me on this. More headship. But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, okay? So we, we are under 
the Messiah, uh, under his authority. Everyone in here is under Messiah's authority. The head of the woman then is man. So under you is your wife, okay? And the head of Christ is God. So even the father is in a hierarchical position to the son. And then we're under that, uh, the son, and then the wives are under us. Now, let me ask you this theological question. Just because the father is in authoritative position over the son, does that make the son less or inferior? No, he is still co-equal. What it's referring to is their role, okay? And when you're, that's what we're talking about. That's what complementarianism is. All three persons of the Trinity are co-equal, co-eternal, but all three have different roles. The Holy Spirit submits to the Father and the Son. The Son submits to the Father, but the Father is the leader, okay, of the Trinity. Okay, so in, 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 and so you bring that to a relationship. The wife is subordinate in her role to the man. Okay, fundamental, easy to understand, but hard to do because of the proclivities that we have. So he goes. He continues on. Every man praying or prophesying have his head hidden covered. And this is a, a cultural thing about the head covered thing. Dishonors his head. So in that day and time, as a, if a guy covered his head, that was showing that he wasn't, uh, wasn't under the authority of Christ. So he had to take what he had on his head off. And isn't that interesting that in rabbinic Judaism, it's the opposite. They put caps on their head, but Christianity says, no, the man takes off the hat to show that he's under the Messiah. I think that that's ironic. Since they don't take off the hat, they're not under the Messiah anyway because they don't believe in him, right? Isn't that interesting? But then he goes, so if the man has to, to pray and prophesy without his head covered and he would dishonor his head, so what is it for the woman? Well, he says, for every woman who prays and prophesies, he's talking about a church setting in public with her head uncovered, not having a veil to cover her hair, dishonors her head. Who's her head? Her husband. For that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. He's saying, look, if she, t- if she doesn't take the veil, she doesn't put the veil on when she's in the church, the, the head covering, she might as well take her hair off and shave it and be like a prostitute because that's what the prostitutes do. And the prostitutes did it in the day to show everyone I'm not under anyone's authority. So if your wife's going to come in here without their head covered, then she might as well just shave it off and, and, and pretend like she's a prostitute. Now, how do you put this in modern day language? That was a cultural thing. Well, he says, for if a woman is not covered, let her also be shorn. She might as well be a prostitute. But if it is shameful for a woman to be shorn or shaved, let her be covered. Okay? So when you translate that into a modern day, so that's a, that's a first century thing of a woman covering her hair. Okay? So you have to bring it in modern terms. We don't require women today to wear veil, or not a veil, a head covering over their hair. So there must be a cultural equivalent to this as a woman walks into the church with her husband. How today does a woman show submission to her husband if we don't wear veils anymore? What would that look like? What would that be? How would you know if a woman is in submission to her husband since she's not wearing scarves anymore? How would we know? How would we know the symbol of authority? It's real simple. Her behavior. Her behavior will tell you everything if she's submissive or not. So stay around the woman long enough and you will find out if they're submissive to their husband. Take them, take, get to know these people and you will see. Okay, so that you look at the behavior. So the behavior in the first century, cover your hair. Today, just listen to them. Listen to them talk, watch their behavior. See what happens. You'll find out real quick who's large and in charge, spiritually speaking. He goes on, for a man indeed ought to not cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Did you catch that? Woman 
is the glory of man. Man is the glory of God. For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for woman, but woman was for the man. So this goes against the whole culture that's saying that we want egalitarianism. Hey, there's, I'm fine for equal rights, but egalitarian pushes the envelope and says, there is no head. There is no authority over human beings. That's the problem we're having. And he's look, look at what he says. I mean, the feminists would go crazy looking at this, right? They'd totally go crazy. For this reason, a woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Why, why, why bring in the angels? Why, 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 are we, why are we bringing them into the conversation of authority? Hmm, it's Genesis 6. If you don't know the background of Genesis 6, you better know it soon because it won't make sense to you when he makes references like this. Genesis 6, fallen angels decided to cohabitate with women and produce hybrids called Nephilim in the Bible. So they made a hybrid situation and they were taking women and marrying them and having hybrids, okay? So when he says they better be in submission because of the angels, he's referring to fallen angels that would lust after them since they're not under the man's authority by not having their head covered. Symbolizing a lack of, lack of submitting to authority. Isn't that funny? Now take that principle and marry it with Genesis. Eve did not submit to Adam's authority because she decided to take on the serpent. So in the same situation, if a woman won't submit to authority, you're giving the fallen angels a place for them to attack the family unit through the woman. So they're watching which women out there is unsubmissive to their husband because that's the ones we're going after. So as a man, if you allow this, then Satan will be tangling with your wife. That's how it, the spiritual work, battle works. That's why he says this. Nevertheless, neither is a man independent of woman nor a woman independent of man. No, they're complementary. You need both for a family in the Lord. For as a woman came from man, even so a man also comes through the woman in childbirth, but all things are from God. So he says, look, man, you've got to make sure you maintain the hierarchy and at the same time, you're equal in value because you're made in the image of God, but you have different roles. You've got to maintain the roles. The man is the leader. The woman is to be submissive to that leader. Okay, so it's serious business. So here's what it looks like when you draw it out. Above Christ is God, and then under Christ is the husband. And his two, his two main jobs are these. I'll show you that in just a bit. Under him is the wife, and she manages the children of the home. That's really how this looks like. If this gets out of control, you're you not protected by authority. Authority in the spiritual realm is a big deal. And the fallen angels and the demons know about authority. So if you're not protecting your wife because you're passive and not leading spiritually speaking, and you let her lead spiritually, you are responsible for that. And he, God's going to call you into account for this. Okay? Because you've upset the apple cart. You're, you're upsetting the whole family dynamic because of this. So the two areas that you're in charge of, what is it to be a leader? You're involved in protection and provision of your wife and your family. Provision just doesn't mean just simply making a living and putting a check on the table. You're not your wife's wallet. So what you have to go is you have to provide relationship. You have to provide, you know, uh, fathering, being a good husband. You got to provide all that. So provision is a big umbrella that you have to provide. You have to provide knowledge of your wife. You have to, all that. And then you have to protect them. Here's where those two concepts come from. They come from the Garden of Eden 
when Adam doesn't even have a wife at that point. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend. So the word to to tend in Hebrew is abad. And it means actually worship and service to God through both physical and spiritual activity. Okay, So it wasn't just like he's a gardener taking care of plants and, and stuff like that. No, no, he's way more than that. It does include physical activity, no doubt about that. Um, But it's spiritual activity. Spiritual activity in terms of dealing with God, okay? In that sense, to tend it. So the guy, Adam, is the spiritual leader in the garden, okay? And then to keep it. Well, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew is samar, or shamar, sorry, shamar. And it means to guard or protect the area through obeying the Lord. Obey the Lord in order to protect the area, okay? So what Adam is supposed to do is basically patrol the perimeter to make sure things don't get in. Well, you think, well, what threat could possibly get in? You know, Adam's the only human on the planet. What threat is there? Well, why did he give him a command to protect this area? Don't let anything that doesn't belong in this area come in. So what's that? It anticipates an enemy. So if you're told to protect or guard something, it anticipates an enemy trying to invade, Okay. And we know what enemy invaded, don't we? Okay? So back to your, 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 your duties as a man, as a leader, is I am the one in which the physical and spiritual activity happens through. So I am the one that takes the kids to the church. I am the one that takes them to Sunday school. I am the one that makes sure their education is right. I am the one that makes sure their foundations are set. Not my wife. I do not hand this over to my wife. I'm in charge of it. And I cannot relinquish that. If you do, you're taking the role of Adam. You're in charge of all the spiritual education of your family, your wife included. Your wife should not be able to outdo you spiritually. Your wife you should know more than your wife because how can you lead if you don't know? You must know what you're talking about. You must get in the game and start playing the game. If your wife doesn't depend on you for spiritual information, you're losing your authority. She goes to you because she expects you to know more than her spiritually. That's the idea of Adam. And then to protect What am I doing? I'm protecting my wife and I'm protecting my kids against an enemy. That's what my job is. So if I let my wife tangle with Satan, I'm letting the enemy into my house. I'm letting the enemy come in and infiltrate while I sit on the lazy boy and my wife's tangling with a serpent and she will lose every time. You will see it happening and you will be a standby. Now, have I seen guys do this? Of course I've seen them. I've seen why guys allow their wives to go bat crazy, just bat crazy, and, and, and make us deal with them. While he sits back and he relishes the fact that she's going bat crazy, can't calm down, doesn't see things right, is going crazy, and he won't calm her down. Because he enjoys her going back crazy because he's passive aggressive because he's so passive he won't ever put her down and stop her. And so he wants someone else to put her her down and stop her for him. But he takes great delight in other people doing that to her. And so he passively sits by just like Adam does. So this guy's not protecting. He's letting his wife go crazy. Okay, so here's the question. What is preventing men from taking the spiritual headship and allowing the Adam and Eve syndrome to take control in their families? Why is it happening? Well, let's take a look at a few. The first thing is believing that we have lost our authority because we lost the moral high ground. Now, what do you mean, Brandon? Well, here's here's what happens. And I, I can tell you through all my years of counseling what happens. 
the guy messes up, okay? He messes up, either cheats on his wife, pornography, robs a bank, I mean, whatever, whatever the sin is, does something stupid. When he does that, if it's not properly handled, the wife will hold it it over his head for the rest of his life. She will not forgive. She will keep reminding him of what he did to control him. And so the guy thinks, yeah, man, I really messed up. And therefore, I've lost my authority to lead. And it's like, wait a second. You lost your authority to lead, and so they don't lead. And they say, I just messed up. I, I, I can't lead anymore. No, no, no. What you lost is trust. Okay? You must separate out trust from authority. You have to do that. Otherwise, it will prevent you from leading. You screw up? Yeah. You're going to have to earn that trust back. But do you earn your authority back if it's already given to you? No, you do not. You're just not trustable at this point in time. But do you retain your authority? Yes, you will always retain your authority to the day you die. That's how authority works. Now, let me show you some examples of spiritual authority. Spiritual authority is given to man by God. Therefore, it cannot be taken away by a moral fall. Because look at Saul. Saul had the the authority to be king of Israel and he was a screw-up royally, right? And you know the background of Saul. He's a screw-up, goes to a witch, all kinds of weird stuff, right? But what you would think, well, David should kill him. He has lost his authority to rule and David should take him out and then take the throne. But what does David do? He doesn't do that, does he? He, he, he even cutting off the robe while this guy is, is, is going to the bathroom, okay? He even felt bad about cutting off the robe because he said, Saul, I could have killed you, but I didn't because I respect your authority. Even though you're a bad authority, you still have the authority. And, and he, didn't do, he didn't touch Saul. And the concept of the king of Israel, you can't touch the anointed king if he's anointed by God. So he had to wait until... God was done with Saul. Saul ended up killing himself anyway. And then David can take the throne. But David never went past the authority, ever. But then something interesting happened in David's life, didn't it? He has a major fall. This is a scene of him staying back while his troops are in battle and he oversees Bathsheba. It's a major fall. You know the story, right? And then eventually uh, tries to cover it up by getting Uriah put on the front line so he'd be killed. And he was killed to cover up the baby, right? But then the baby dies. But let me ask you something about David. It's a moral lapse. He repented and came back. Did he ever lose the crown? No. He still has his authority. Can we trust David with women? No can't trust him. He's going to have to earn that one back. And he doesn't appear to earn that back because even when he was an old man, they put a, a young lady in his bed to, for him. I'm like, what's that about? It's weird. It's not, a, it's not an electric blanket. I can tell you that. Because <laughs> you'll see commentators, well, it was to keep him warm. No, no, no. It's not to keep him warm. They put a, a, a young gal in his bed for you know what? So he tends to have a problem with women. So David's still king. He still has authority. But you, get, you just can't trust him with women. He's still king. But then what happens? His sons go crazy, bat crazy. So Amnon rapes his half-sister. Saul takes, it's not Saul, sorry. Absalom takes vengeance and kills Amnon. And then, then Absalom rebels against David. Even though David has the right to wear the crown. But his boys go crazy, out of control. Do you know why? It's the same principle. David never confronts them, ever. He will not confront his boys. They they went crazy, they were out of control, and David will say nothing to them. Why? 
Because David wrongly thinks, wrongly, okay? I'm gonna emphasize, he's not thinking correctly that when he did that sin with Bathsheba, he thinks he lost the moral high ground in order to correct his boys. Because the first sin that comes out of the boy is a sexual sin of incest with the sister. And he feels that he can't call that out. So he doesn't call out Amnon. And that's why Absalom gets so mad. Well, if dad's not going to do anything about it, I will. And I'm going to kill him because of dad. But David is functioning under this guilt of what he's done and that he can never, ever redeem himself and take back that authority that he had to correct his own kids. That's why he doesn't correct them. And when he doesn't correct them, they go crazy. And they all end up dead almost. Except Solomon, and Solomon takes over. But Solomon has his own problems too, doesn't he? Because he was never corralled. He was never corrected. And, by, and, and you talk about David having a problem with women. Well, guess who has a major problem with women? Solomon does. I mean, he had a woman, a different woman every night. It was a problem. So the thing what happens is guys relinquish their authority because they thought they have lost the high moral ground with their wife and they allow their wife to browbeat them over the fall for the rest of their life. And really what's happening is Satan is working to destroy your family if you allow that. You didn't lose your authority. You lost trust. That's what you lost. You have to gain that back. But you're still in charge. You're still in charge. That doesn't mean if you lapse it, okay, here's the authority, my wife. Now you call the shot spiritually. Uh Uh-uh. That doesn't happen. But I can't tell you how many counselees I have had to where the man feels he cannot say anything because every time he exerts any leadership, the wife says, you remember what you did to me? You remember what you did to me? And it's sick. Their wives are sick to keep bringing that up because you're supposed to forgive and they won't let it go. And so the guy just sits there and for the rest of his life, he's Casper Nilk Toast. He won't, he won't buck the system and he's just trying to survive and grit his teeth to deal with her for the rest of his life. Do not let that happen to you. We all make mistakes. We all fall. Pick yourself back up, ask for forgiveness and gain your trust back. But don't ever think you lost authority. You still have authority over your family and your kids and your wife. Second, big ticket item. And this is the last one I'm going to do tonight because I'll do more next time. Trading or bargaining our authority for sex and acceptance is the second biggest thing I see. Guys are relinquishing their authority for sex. And that's how the bargaining's happening. It's amazing. It's amazing to me that people get married and, they, and, and the wife will turn off the waterworks. Just shut it all off. And it's more common than you think. They just shut it off. They can't have sex anymore. They married the guy they love, but they can't have sex with him anymore. Do you know what the problem is? They had too much sex before. So when they had sex before they were married, it gave them a feeling internally that I like the feeling, but I know this is wrong. And then they carry this back into marriage and now it's green light. Have all the sex you want. Green light, you're married. No, because I still feel dirty inside. I still feel it's wrong. I can't get past these feelings. And so they become a cold corpse for the guy, okay? And they're dead. So I have guys telling me, I haven't had sex in a year, Brandon. I'm like, what? You're in your 30s, dude. It's not like you're 95. What's going on? What are you talking about? You haven't had sex. Yeah, it's been like almost a year. Or it's been eight months. It's been nine months. What? What? So you're completely set up for an affair then. 
Is that what I'm hearing from you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because the other girls will start looking more attractive. And that's not a joke. That's coming from the apostle Paul. So this is what's going on. Look what Paul says. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. There is no plain sexual games and bargaining. Sex cannot be used as a weapon, as you can see here. The wife does not have authority over her own body. The husband does. Oh, did you hear that? The husband has authority over his wife's body. But the, but the husband, and likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his, his own body, but the wife has authority over his. You see that? So there's no playing games with each other's body. And we can't have sexual anorexia. That's a problem. Sexual anorexia in America, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, that's what it causes. Okay, so when guys come to me and they say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm hooked on porn. And the first thing I'll ask, how much sex do you have with your wife? None. Okay, well, there's, that's one answer. And then we go deeper. It's more deeper than that, obviously. Uh, and there's a root cause to pornography and it's really through rejection. But if, if we can't do the simple things, guys, if we can't do the simple things, how are we ever gonna get to the deep things? If we're not having sex in marriage as is proper, you're upside down. And likewise, the husband doesn't have authority, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. So why? Why have sex so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control? Thank you very much, Paul. How come people don't practice that? Because of your lack of self-control, that's why you got married, because you don't have the gift of singleness. The reason you're married is in order to have sex to make sure you do not commit immorality sexually, that you are satisfied sexually in the bounds of marriage. And, oh yeah, you can stop for a period of time, he says, having sex, but you better be fasting and praying during that period of time, which I doubt when the guy tells me I haven't had sex for a year, they've been fasting and praying for an entire year. I guarantee that's not been happening. This is a big problem, guys. Because you know what happens? The guy is groveling for his wife to have sex with him. Therefore, he will let her do anything she wants to do spiritually. Guaranteed. He will let her do it because all he wants is to have sex. And to him, sex is about acceptance. Men see sex, sex as acceptance, and if they don't get it, they see it as rejection. That's the problem. And the wives know it, and they manipulate their guys with it. Well, if you want sex tonight, we're leaving that church because I can't stand Pastor Brandon. I can't take all the doom and gloom. Okay, can we have sex tonight? Yeah, you can have sex as long as we're leaving. You get what I'm saying? It's real. Or he did something stupid. I'm leaving the church because I don't like when Brandon talks about false teachers or I've heard that one too. Uh, and, and the guy goes... And, and you better come because you remember that you cheated on me. You remember that? I'll never let you live it down. So follow me now. We're going to a, a Joel Osteen's church. And the guy goes, okay, don't, hit, don't hurt me anymore. And don't, don't bring up my, my, my adultery with you anymore. And he just goes right along. It's that way, guys. That's what's happening on the ground. That's what I see. That, and it's happening more often and than not. It is a serious, serious problem. And you think, well, why would my wife do that to me? Really? Aren't they supposed to love you? Yeah. Are you supposed to love them? Yeah. Have you ever decided to say we need to address this? 
You're taking our family into a place that I don't want to go and you're beating me over the head for what I've done and you withhold sex from me as a weapon so I can do what you want me to do? Why would anyone give in to that? I was telling my staff uh, this same kind of conversation. I said, you know what? It'd be amazing. Like if there was a button on the back of guys on their back and push the button says, I don't need sex. And if you push the button and all of a sudden the sex drive turns off and they're just like a human androgynous that doesn't need sex, the woman would lose her weapon. She wouldn't have anything to fight with. You understand what's going on? Christian women are using sex as a manipulative tool to get their husbands to do things they wouldn't normally do, spiritually speaking. The husband will run to her aid. The husband will back her craziness. The husband will back her spiritual unbelief. The husband will do everything she wants him to do as long as she doesn't bring up his past and he gets sex that night. That's how crass it is. And I'm straight up with you telling you, I've seen it for 20 something years now and nothing's changed. In fact, it's getting worse. It's getting worse because I'm gonna tell you this, the heat is being turned on right now. And the first ones to freak out about the heat on the world is women, okay? They're the ones freaking out first. And you know, my goodness, if you saw the, the AI coming in, the digital currency coming in, the destruction of our economy, we're nearly at World War III with Russia in the Ukraine. There's a lot of things heating up uh, Israel and Iran. I mean, when you look at the, 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 the whole globe, it's a meltdown, the transgender issue, the pedophile issue. It's getting worse and worse and women can't take it because you have to step in the way of that. And most guys won't take that on and accept it and say, I'll protect you. So they expose their women to Satan and all the junk that Satan is doing. So the woman freaks out, she flips out, doesn't know what to do and wants to run because of her emotions. If you don't stop that, you will not be able to control your wife. There are times that you have to tell your wife, calm down, stop it. It ends today. You have to be able to say those words because most men won't. Let me show you a chart real quick before we leave about emotions. And we'll do this uh, more next time. I don't want to show, I got a lot to talk about that guy. (laughs) There's a lot of those. If my wife is responding to things emotionally, what am I to do? Okay, how do I respond? Well, let's say your, your wife is, is reacting emotionally, okay? But it's associated to truth. Someone died and she's very emotional. Okay, so I can deal with that and emotion's proper and it's, it's according to truth. It's something, somebody died And then I can come in as a spiritual leader and say, what's my next decision? What's our next decision now that mom died or dad died or grandpa died or whoever died? What's the next decision? So that's where you act as a leader. You comfort comfort that because it's legitimate emotion. Comfort that. And then you take the lead and start making decisions. What's the next thing I need to do? Then move over to the middle category, preference. Your wife is getting emotional over a preference, okay? Not a truth, but a gray area. Well, I'm not gonna go to that church because you know, Barbara over there, she's sitting there and she, she glares at me every Sunday and I just don't feel comfortable going to that church. Let's go find Joel Olstein's church because Barbara's not there at Joel Olstein's. And what are you gonna do? We're gonna go and pick up the whole family, go to a different church because your wife doesn't like Barbara. Because it's a preference thing. It's a woman fight. It's a unikey syniki fight. And, and, and we're gonna jump ship because she doesn't like Barbara. Barbara gives her the evil eye every time she comes into that church. So you're gonna give up the truth. You're gonna give up where, where the truth is being taught so you can avoid Barbara. What would you decide? I would say, you're not doing that. You tough it out. 
and you learn to cope like a biblical Christian should cope with a person you don't like. Now let's get to the red part. The red part. She's emotional, and what she's emotional over is not true. It's not true. So she's overreacting, blowing it out of proportion, and, and because of the emotions, they can't handle it, and it goes crazy, okay? At that point, this is where Casper Milktoast caves in because the emotion is so out of control that he doesn't know what to do to calm it down, so he complies. But you're complying to an emotion that's not based on any truth. In fact, it's based on an error of your perception. At that point, that's where you say, you need to stop this. It ends today. No more. You're being emotional over something that doesn't even exist or it's a figment of your imagination. Enough. Well, I don't know what people are going to think about me if, if I go there. What do you mean? We don't work on hypotheticals. That's not how we operate as human beings. We don't, we don't, we don't fantasize of what people will think. You just do the right thing. Okay, so if the wife goes into this area where it's not true, you don't give in to it. You say no. You put your foot down. Uh-uh. We're not moving halfway across the country because, because your fear of living in California is unjustified. If God wants us here, then he'll keep us here and he will tell me about it, not you. I will make the final decision if we move out of California, not you. I will listen to your input. But if your input is on the not true input, I'm not listening to you. And I'm, I will not make a decision to move across a country to satisfy your emotional stability if it's not true. I will only comfort you and help you and make decisions if your emotional stability is based on instability is based on truth. If it's based on truth, I'll be your knight in shining armor. I will be there for you. But if you're making up stuff, and if this stuff is coming from your past, and you're bringing the past into the present to make you afraid of what's currently going on, I'm not playing that game. I'm done. We end of discussion. We don't even entertain it. And if you do, you're going to be passive and you're going to let your wife take control because she's scared and her emotions are taking her over and now your family is being driven by emotions. Emotions. And you can't have that. Did they push Jesus? Did the women push Jesus? Did they ever get emotional with him and push him and want him to do something that he didn't want to do? Do you remember the scenes? I can remember two of them right now. Remember that? His own mom did it to him. Remember that? Oh my goodness, they've ran out of wine. It's gonna be a major faux pas. Their, their reputation is shot. What are we gonna do? Please, do something. She's commanding him. You've got to do something. Emotional, out of control. And what does he say back to her? woman. He doesn't call her mom. He distanced herself from her. Hey, wait a second, is what he's really saying. Woman, you want me to do something before my time? Ain't happening. And then she backs off. So even his mom put pressure on him and he didn't cave into it because he, she was emotionally out of control. And he says, stop it. What's another time that happened to him with another woman? You remember? They put pressure on him emotionally. It was James and John's mom. Do you remember this? She was uh, James and John's mom, Zebedee. It's, she's never named. Her name's not given. Emotionally, she comes to Jesus and she gets on her knees. Talk about emotional, out of control. She says, whipped up in emotion. Lord, uh, 
Do me a favor. Make sure John and James sit at your right and your left in your kingdom. Oh, are you out of your mind, woman? Those, those positions are not reserved for me to decide. My father decides that. You don't, don't pressure me like that. And I'm paraphrasing. But you can see his response to her. And he's like, you're not going to push me around by your emotions. And he says, no, those are not for me to give out. And then he goes on to another thing. Can you bear the baptism that I will bear? Talking about death. But, but the whole point was, I'm not going to have an emotional woman push the Messiah around and tell him what to do. Even his own mom. So that's a great lesson. And again, this, this little chart that I've made, you have to understand what am I dealing with when my wife comes to me emotionally and is flipping out. Is it according to truth? Is it her preference? Or is it not true at all? That's the only way you can gauge it. And then you react accordingly. And that's what's being a good leader. But here's the thing. I want you to really think about, and I'm going to leave you with this. Am I caving into my wife or am I seeing guys cave in because they lost the high moral ground with their wife at some point in their life? If that's so, that needs to be fixed immediately. Immediately that needs to be fixed. I recommend counseling at that point in time. If you're telling me too, Brandon, I'm having the same problem. My wife won't give me sex. You better get therapy for her and counseling for you immediately. Do not let that thing go on because it sets you up for sexual immorality. That is a problem, a big problem. You should be having frequent sex if you're married, okay? That's normal, that's natural. Well, Brandon, give me, give me a, 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 a limit of what that looks. Well, based on your age, it's different, but for the average male, every 24 hours. How about women? Naturally, without any problems, every 48 hours that they can have sex. Okay? And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just throwing that out there because in, in, in our counseling, we have to give a workout a baseline for everybody. Well, what's the baseline for a normal male? Now, again, that's not, that's not barring, you know, barring uh, you know, uh, medical problems, emotional problems, depression. I mean, the whole thing. I'm talking about the average, normal, healthy male, average, normal, healthy female, probably age 25 to 40. Okay? Anything above that, obviously, starts tapering down. Okay? And the frequency is not as much, but it is still happening, okay? And, and barring health issues, right? Bar, barring health issues. So if you were to go to your wife, and I don't want you doing this, Brandon said I had to have sex every day. <laughs> they ain't gonna fly. If you do that, you're the dumbest guy in this, in this planet right now, if you do that, because you ain't gonna get far. I'm just giving you a baseline in your head to know what is the baseline. Okay, so if we're somewhere in the general bell curve, you're doing okay. But if you're not in that bell curve and you're on both ends or whatever the bell curve, you're not in the, the distribution of the bell curve, there's something going on. Now, probably there's been pain, trauma, something's going on that needs to be addressed, okay? We just don't let that go on. Your job as a leader is to get it fixed. You get it fixed. Figure out why that's happening. What happened? Is it a psychological damage from the past? Is it something that you're doing right now that, 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 that really upsets her and she doesn't like you because you're a bozo? Now, it's one thing, you know, they say that the old book, uh, Sex Begins in the Kitchen, and what it meant by that is, if you decide that you're going to be the kind of animal that walks in the bedroom and says, okay, I'm ready, and you have done no prep work whatsoever that day, you're an idiot, okay? I'm just going to put that out there. You're an idiot because she's not going to respond to you that way. When they write the book, Sex Begins in the Kitchen, it means you have to spend the whole day prepping that so that it becomes a natural when you're at home at night. But if you're like, okay, I'm gonna take off my clothes, I'm ready. I'm ready, here we go. You're out of your mind. 
That's not a turn on. That's a turn off. Okay? Now, why do I say that? Because guys tell me that in counseling. And I'm like, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? That's what you do? Oh, okay. So if those two things are happening, you need counseling. You need help, okay? If you know of somebody, help them and point them in the right direction. Now, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna finish this off next time when I teach because it's a big issue. But let me get to the very last. Uh, these are a lot of things I gotta go over. Oh boy, hold on. Here we go. I wanna end on this. Check this verse out and we're gonna end here. Watch, stand fast in the faith. And it says be brave, but that's actually not what the Greek says. It doesn't say be brave. It's andrizome, act like men, be strong. That's the right interpretation. Act like a man and be the leader you need to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn tonight. Help us to be that spiritual leader of our home, to provide and protect for our families and our wives, to take care of them, to nurture them, to love them, and to do the things you've called us to do to be the headship of our home. Help us to stand, not be passive. Help us be responsible and let us be brave enough to deal with the serpent. And Father, bless us as we go now. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Thank you for coming, man. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.